Friday, October 19th, 2018. You are tuned in to Season 2, Episode 41 of the Hitting the Marks Pro Wrestling Podcast, powered by the Roar Network at thegorillaposition.com and presented by Hameen Media. On this week's show, Rick and I are talking NFL, MLB, NJPW, SmackDown 1000, D-Evolution, and of course, some blood money. But before we dive in, it's my obligation to remind you this is a podcast by the fans for the fans, bringing you all the news that is news from across the professional wrestling world. You can find the show on Twitter at HTMPWPod, on Facebook at Hitting the Marks, email us at HittingTheMarks at gmail.com. My name is Jargo. I will be your host for the day, but please welcome in my tag team partner, the OG Huckleberry. RBV, Rick, welcome back to your show. It's me, it's me. It's that R to the B to the V. Jargo, I know I say this on the regular, but today it rings truer than ever. Rick Vickery here, and it is great to be back on with the Hitting the Marks Pro Wrestling Podcast. Now, I want to say a thank you to the listeners who reached out to just make sure I was feeling better, I was doing okay. Thank you. But more so, a big-time thank you to Billy Ray Valentine of the Infinite Fringe, who stepped in for me last week. Uh, it was refreshing, you know, to get a, maybe a change of perspective, hear some different voices. You guys did an amazing job. But, brother, it is great to be back on with you. It's good to have you back, Huckleberry. And much, much love to Billy Ray Valentine. I enjoyed my trip out there to the Infinite Fringe, where we got to talk about a whole bunch of Saudi Arabia blood money. Billy Ray Valentine's great for that stuff, man. If anybody understands these conspiracy theories, it's Billy Ray Valentine. If you need it, if you need it, you go to the man. Now, you, you know, some of those conspiracies, they seem a little out there, Jargo. I, I, you know, I don't, some of the things that those guys reach out, I don't know if I can buy into. You're telling me, man, Big Ray tried to convince me that Tupac Shakur was still alive on the uh, impact attack here a couple of weeks ago. Well, there we go. I, I think actually Big Ray's trying to pull off the uh, Tupac look right now. Well, you know, every day it seems a little more Tupac-ish. You know, I, I felt incredibly racist when I was describing this on the impact attack, but I'll, I'll say this as nicely as I possibly can once again. Tupac has a very, very generic face. I'm pretty sure at least 90% of the African-American population of males between the age of 25 and 35, if you put on an upside-down bandana and grow a goatee, you too can look like Tupac Shakur. Hey, there we go. I, I think that's a, a very, a very fair statement. Hey, bro, I, I know we've got, you know, at the top of this run, as we do it on, on each of our shows, if it's here on the Hitting Mark Pro Wrestling Podcast or in the locker room, the Hobby Media Group, you know, we, we come out of the gate hard hitting with that gridiron action. But I got a little bit of news I, I want to bring to your attention here before we get into that. You know, before, before we're getting ready to sit down, this thing came across the news wire this morning. I mean, this is one with everything that's crazy going on in the world today. This this is one of those stories that is like stop the presses. You you got to check out the, this press tidbit here. Woman arrested for trying out dozens of sex toys in the middle of a Walmart store. 
You know, surprisingly enough, I actually saw this story before we started recording today. All, the entire hour or so that I've actually been awake before we started recording today. I actually saw this story because enough people have been posting it. Well, let me, I, I got some of the headlines here for you. It's uh, Union City, California. A woman was arrested this morning after stripping almost naked in a Walmart store to test various sex toys in front of dozens of shocked customers. Uh, so uh, you know, apparently she she even is, pulled an audience. Uh, she pulled in an audience. Uh, we've got a, a couple eyewitness reports here. Uh, I guess the, the lady at question here, upon arriving on the site, the officers found 27-year-old Lauren Martinez lying almost naked on the floor and masturbating with a vibrator. Uh, some eyewitness reports. It was the grossest thing I've ever seen in my life. That fat lady just dropped her pants and started testing every dildoter and vibrator we have in front of everyone. Wait, uh, no. wait, 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 wait. What kind of Walmart is selling sex toys? I, I just figured she brought her own sex toys in with her. Well, I, that's, that's what I want to know. I, I, hey, you know, we're both from the Midwest. There's Walmarts everywhere. I have never seen anything like this in any of the Walmarts that, I, that I've been in. No, God, no. Y'all got some kinky Walmarts out there in Cali. That well, must be I, a Nancy I, Pelosi initiative. I think one of my one of my favorite ones here is uh, the worst part was her moaning and screaming. It was disgusting. I'm pretty sure I'll have nightmares about it. Well, you know what? It's very clear what happened here. Nancy Pelosi pushed this through Congress because everybody was telling Nancy Pelosi to go fuck herself, and she thought that they needed to actually pass a law so that they could do that. Only in California, a prime example especially this time of year, elections around the corner, that we have to keep the snowflakes out of office. Walmart, dildos, vibrators, and disgustingness. We'll go back to some uh, political talk here at the beginning of segment two when we talk some uh, WWE blood money, the big pay-per-view coming up here in a couple weeks. But for now, let's go ahead. Let's stick with the gimmick. Huckleberry, I thought these Thursday night games, once they moved to Fox, were supposed to be good. But tonight, we have the 2-4 and four Denver Broncos taking on the 1-5 and five Arizona Cardinals. Needless to say, I don't feel like Impact Wrestling is up against a big Thursday night game this week. Yeah, when I saw this on the lineup, uh, right away, Broncos 2-4, and four, Cardinals 1-5, and five. Let's just call this, this is AKA, also known as Tyler Breeze versus Ty Dillinger. Oh, I see how it is. I see how it is. We'll, we'll, we'll talk more about uh, Tyler here in just but a couple I, of seconds. I will, say, I will say, you know, this is, they have the flex rule for Sunday night football. They might want to look into, if they're going to highlight more of these primetime network games. They, they might want to look at maybe expanding that option. Yeah, Broncos at Cardinals. Sorry, that just doesn't do it for me. Let's take a look at a couple of the other big games coming up this weekend because there are a couple of games on the schedule that I think look pretty good and a couple that I know you and I will both be interested in. Starting things off, you have the New England Patriots coming to the Windy City to take on the Chicago Bears and Mitchell Trubisky and what I am dubbing the scariest offense in the NFL right now because, number one, they're incredibly inconsistent. If they were as good as they could be all the time, they would be a very, very scary team, but they're a very inconsistent team at this point. 
Rick, I, I we've talked about trap games on this show before. I kind of feel like this is a trap game for the Patriots going into Chicago. You know, you look at anything on the road, especially going in to an atmosphere, you know, like Chicago. And we could be dealing, and it's not so much that the weather is going to place, you know, dictate so much into the Patriots' mindset. Uh, but in any case, it does change a game plan. Uh, so, you know, if there's some way that they can slow down the Patriots uh, a little bit there. But, you know, I think coming in with the, the Patriots holding on to win that game last week, just, you know, getting out of there, escaping the Chiefs' comeback, the hot young Chiefs, making sure that they still know that this is the Patriots' division. I think the Patriots coming in, coming in here, they are not going to overlook this game. They're not looking behind them. The Chiefs are not looking ahead. They are ready to take care of business with the Chicago Bears. And to me, I, I know you you follow the Bears very closely. You guys are you're a half game back from them right now uh, in the standings as, as a Packers fan. I just don't believe that the Bears are, are as good as that top of that position, uh, division position. I think they could be. I think they're just too damn inconsistent at this point. You say the weather ain't going to be a factor, but they've got, you know, Hurricane Khalil Mack up there in freaking Chicago right now. My God, Khalil Mack just playing out of his goddamn mind trying to send a message to John Gruden, it seems. Well, I, I think a lot of it, when you have someone, it's if you're looking at like a Rodgers or somebody like that, that's the reason they brought him in just to kind of disrupt that entire and win or lose, Rodgers going to feel that. The Patriots with their dumps, their dump and run offense, He's really going to have to be on his game to get the Brady. There's not going to be a lot of time there. Yeah, you've got all of about two and a half seconds before Brady's launching that damn thing. Uh, Saints and Ravens. I think this is probably the best game on the schedule for this week. Um, this could be very easily a Super Bowl preview. This is two of the better teams inside of the NFL right now. And I'm going with Baltimore. I think Baltimore is going to get it done at home against Drew Brees and the Saints. Huckleberry, how do you see this thing going down? Uh, I, I'd have to agree with you. If someone, you know, if I have to put money on this thing, I'm definitely going to take the Ravens at home. I don't know the actual line, but if we had a straight pick, I'm going with the Ravens at home. Wouldn't be surprised to see the Saints pull off the big road victory. Uh, but, but like you said, though, we could be looking at a potential Super Bowl preview, two of the better teams in the league. And it seems like in the way that these franchises are built, they get better as the season goes on as well. And then I threw this one on the schedule just to appease you, Huckleberry, but I can tell you right now it's going to be the Kansas City Chiefs defeating the ever-loving crap out of your Cincinnati Bengals because, as you and I both know, Andy Dalton, prime time, the world watching, he's going to choke. Well, you know, the last primetime game, they got that monkey off their back. They got that huge win against Baltimore. Uh, big time win there for him. I, I'm not so much worried about you know the primetime jinx of the Bengals here. I think you just get down to the brass tacks of this thing. The Bengals do not have enough machinery to hang with a team like the Kansas City Chiefs. Uh, the offense has been struggling. They've been really you know reliant on the defense to get them points, and it's usually just you know sad mistakes by the opponents that are allowing that for us. Our defense was showing so many, so many holes over these last couple of weeks. 
I think you're going to see that young kid from Kansas City go out here, and you might be looking at a record-breaking night. Patrick Mahomes is playing out of his goddamn mind. You know, like you were saying, Cincinnati's been relying on their defense to score a lot of points, capitalize on uh, their opponent's mistakes. The Chiefs ain't going to make any mistakes until January. That's the way Andy Reid teams go. In a way that I'm, if you look at this at this Chiefs team, you know the way I'm reading this here is they are going to come in here. They knew they were right there. They were a knockout punch away. You know, just a couple points away from winning that fight last week against the Patriots. They're going to come in here hungry. They're going to have that home crowd behind them. They're going to be fired up. It's going to be a big game in Kansas City, and I'm going to be rooting with with. My entire heart for the Cincinnati Bengals win that. But I will say, thankfully, I won't have to be as invested as that game or, you know, as it's going on, focusing on it because we'll have uh, NWA 70 going on at the same time. I'm looking forward to that show. I'm really looking forward to that show. Kind of see what they hel- what the hell they're going to put out. Obviously, I mean, we've seen this tournament announced to crown the new national champion. We've got Cody versus Aldis, too. Um, we know Jazz is defending the NWA women's title. A couple of grudge matches. Looks like it's going to be a good show. I'm anxious to check it out. It's going to be available on Fight TV for only 25 bucks. God knows that I've spent more money on dumber shit than NWA 70 for 20 bucks. I mean, it's at least it's not like Impact Wrestling. $40 for Bound for Glory. Get the fuck out of here. I'll find myself a stream. Thank you very much. Let's talk about the MLB playoffs a little bit. Huckleberry, I have gotten to see a little bit of both of the most recent games. Of, of course, uh, Dodgers and Brewers playing right now, probably. That game's probably on as we're recording, and for some reason I have it on USA Network. Uh, the Red Sox lead the Astros after taking the big win last night, 3-1 to one in the series. But, of course, uh, we, we've got a little bit of controversy surrounding this Houston game. You and I both agree we talked about this last night after we saw the Altuve home run that was called back. Has If that ball goes out, that, that's a completely different game. From that moment going forward, I guess the real question is, Huckleberry, what do you think? Was that a home run or was it not? Well, you know, ultimately, karma. And no, I'm not talking about the lovely Kia Stevens. Actual karma is a bitch. You ain't bitter at all, are you? Hey, they, they got caught cheating. They got let off the hook. And it you were telling me this. What's this story bite, all about? I don't know this story. Ass. Uh, apparently, this was discovered during actually this series, the Red Sox and the Astros series. They were, they had a gentleman who was trying to pass himself off as a member of the press. Had some doctored uh, press credentials. Maybe they weren't even there, but he was. He got himself in into a position where he had a camera. And they were stealing signs and information from the opponents. Nice. I like that. And then relaying it back to the clubhouse. I like that. This, of course, uh, the Houston Astros that we're talking about stealing signals. The Astros Astros were stealing the signals here uh, by, you know, just running this this gentleman out there under the the guise that he was a member of the press. Uh, This gentleman, they also had issues with him during the Cleveland series. So they were obviously running the same scam there. I mean, who knows how far back this goes? I mean, this guy could have been doing this the entire season for the Astros. 
But, you know, to speak to the actual incident at hand, and what, what game would that have been? Game four, correct? Uh, yes. I, yep, game I know four, Wednesday night. We don't want to get ahead of our recording schedule. So you got game four there. Man, it was really difficult to tell if it was an interference, if it was the fans that closed the glove, if he had just shot it himself, what really happened there. But I'm not really one that goes back to say, oh, if that would if, if we would have scored in the first inning, it would have changed. We would have been up two. No, because when you would have went up in a first, it would have changed every decision throughout that game. Yep, agreed. I don't know, man. I, you know, I it's like when it's like there's alternate timelines, you know, where like a butterfly effect. As I was watching that, I saw the clip and I was like, "How is that not a home run?" I mean, get the fuck out of here. That's clearly a home run. Worst case scenario, it's a double. Because I mean, the ball bounces off of his closed glove and then bounces back into the stadium. So I mean, that ball would be live and in play. That should have been the a double. Argument, the argument they're making is that. The fan closed his glove. <laughs> I think which that's would, a bunch of shit. Which would count for as a fan interference. I think that's uh, to me, a crock of shit. To me, the way that it should read there, it, I mean, that plays into you know a, a home field advantage of sorts. If the player has to go over that rail in any way, I mean, that's, that's a fair, that's fair game for a fan to try to get that ball. Well, I feel that way as long as the fan isn't reaching into the field of play, which this one was not. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, I mean, when, once his arm goes over the wall into the fans, tough shit, man. You know, you're no longer in the field of play once you cross that imaginary line. Some of those catches in that game, though. My God, the catch that that freaking kid for the Red Sox made to close the game, because that would have been ball game over. Houston would have scored right freaking then and there, and that game would have been over. What a catch to close out game four. Then they got Verlander going today. That's the, the Red Sox consolation prize. Congratulations. You win this big emotional game, and now you got Verlander. I think this thing is absolutely going back to Boston. Uh, I, I would agree with you. I would agree with you there. I think they're going to push it here. Dodgers lead three games to two. Huckleberry, is this series over? Uh, if, you're, if you're the networks, if you're the league, you're sure as hell hoping so, aren't you? Yeah, I think so. They, they, these two teams have put out some good baseball. I think this has been a good series. It's been fun to watch what I've seen of it. But yeah, obviously, everybody wants the Dodgers to win this thing, unless you live in the Milwaukee greater area. So let's talk about Tyler Breeze. We have some. Ooh, we, there's, Bree, there's Breezy again. Two drops for Breezy on this episode. Yeah. Actually, there's going to be three drops for Breezy on this episode because I think Breezy was the MVP of Monday Night Raw, and I'm anxious to talk to you about that. Um, but this, I guess, kind of t- ties into that a little bit. Tyler Breeze took to Twitter the other night, and he, he posted something, and my heart just sank, Rick, when I read this. At some point, opportunity has to come. Right now, I yes, we have seen Tyler Breeze on Monday Night Raw a few times over the course of the last couple of months, and it's normally just selling his ass off and getting jobbed out. At a certain point, this has got to start weighing on this kid too, right? If you're going to do something with him, do it. Otherwise, get him the hell out of there. Well, I think you know probably where he's sitting at. 
you know, you have that tough break when Fandango goes down. But, but you know, even with Fandango, what opportunities are really there? Well, I mean, they did wrestle for the tag team championships once. I I I understand that. They they had that opportunity. But even as a duo, what kind of of promising opportunities are there within the tag divisions in the red and blue brands? That's what I'm saying. But I think a positive, though, if you had Fandango is, yes, you do have – you have that partner in crime. You have a seasoned vet. Who knows, you know, a little more how to play the game on that level to push opportunities for you, who's maybe there is helping you push more of like your social media, you know, the success that they had there with the fashion files. You got those other projects. You know, now he's kind of out on his own and there might be not be anyone listening to him. Well, yeah, but I mean, even the fashion files, they took away from them. I mean, they, they took the fashion files off of SmackDown, shoved them on the network. Then they mysteriously get traded to Monday Night Raw, where they were basically buried. They were all but buried. Dango ends up getting hurt at a house show. And now Tyler's been on his own for months And literally the only time you see Tyler Breeze is when Tyler Breeze is getting beaten. Other than that, he's wrestling, you know, dark matches before the show. He's going down. He's doing guest spots in NXT. He's doing whatever the hell they want him to do. But good God, let him do something. At this point, he's becoming, you know, Dolph Ziggler from a couple of years ago where is there really going to be any rehabbing him? I mean, Dolph Ziggler now is more relevant than Dolph Ziggler has been in five years. And it took Braun Strowman and Drew McIntyre to do it. I don't see them giving Tyler Breeze a Braun Strowman and a Drew McIntyre. Well, I was going to say, he's not going to get an opportunity like that. And I could see where in, in, in some way, it's a little stretch to compare those two. I mean, Dolph is, is an extraordinary talent. He got a few more breaks coming in. The the company was just structured so differently when Dolph was on his rise uh, to kind of, you know, carve his niche where he had that permanent spot. Because, you know, Dolph was always that guy that they could depend on to throw into, you know, to, to put over somebody coming in. Just, or if they needed to throw him in a high-profile spot just, you know, for a month or so, build him up, go in there, put someone over, get him back out, rebuild him again. You know, Tyler's – you're right, though, that Tyler is doing that, but on – such a, a lesser scale. I mean, he's going out making people look fantastic. I mean, he made Bobby Lashley. And he he went out there and did his job. Bobby Lashley looked freaking incredible. Yeah, well, I guess we'll just tie it in here because there's no other reason to talk about Lashley later in the show because he has nothing announced for Crown Jewel at this point. Um, but yeah, Tyler Breeze, the MVP of Monday Night Raw, he actually made Lashley look like a freaking monster. The dude basically just goes limp. Lashley can do whatever the hell he wants with him. It's just Tyler selling his freaking ass off. If you need to make somebody look good, they put him in the ring and they squash Tyler Breeze. Like, at what point? I mean, he's going to become Kurt Hawkins. Come the fuck on. I think he, I think he's a much better talent than that. Well, let's look at some options here for him then before we get kind of to the second part of the story, which I think you're going towards. Uh, within the company, if you're Tyler Breeze, as you were talking about, he's gone back to NXT and done some spots there. He's pretty much relegated to, to you know, low card live events and dark matches. And then that occasional television spot where they just need someone out there to, you know, to go make one of the monsters look good. What about the new a new brand like uh, – NXT UK could it request to be sent over there. 
I could see that. I could see Tyler going over there as the super cocky American that's, you know, invading the UK scene. And even at least for a little while, I could see him going over there and doing that. I'm not sure how soon Dango is supposed to be back. Not that it really matters because it's not like they're actually going to use the fashion police to their full capabilities. Um, I guess kind of what I wanted to spin this into is what we were talking about last night. Tyler Breeze, to me, is one of the biggest ball drops that the main roster has had when it comes to talent coming up from NXT. But people discuss that all the time. You know, oh, they dropped the ball with Bailey. Oh, they dropped the ball with Balor. Oh, they dropped the... What about the people that they dropped the ball with inside of NXT? Because I'm starting to feel that way about a couple of the talents down there at NXT, namely Johnny Gargano and Candice LeRae. I think they're two of the biggest ball drops that they've had down there in NXT. And then you and I got to talking last night about people that they dropped the ball with in NXT. And I guess there's a couple of different ways that you can look at it. You can look at it at people like Sammy Callahan, Juice Robinson, that have left NXT and went on the independent scene and kind of lit the world on fire. Or you can look at it from one of the angles I brought it to you last night. I think two of the biggest ones you got to talk about are Alexa Bliss and Elias, who were absolute nobodies in NXT. I saw absolutely no future for either one of them. They get called up to the main roster, and they're two of the hottest acts in the company over the last couple of years, regardless of the status that Alexa Bliss is in right now. Huckleberry, is there anybody that really stands out to you that you're just like, damn, how did they fuck that up in NXT? Well, and I, th- I think, you know, as we were talking about that, as, and I have told you at that time, I said, man, this is a topic I would love to hear between the one with the PhD in NXT, Andrew Bello, and, and the motherfucker in the know when it comes to the black and yellow, you, Mr. Jargo. I would love to hear that conversation between you guys because I need a little time to, to go back and kind of research what was going on at certain points, you know, like names that you had mentioned though, like a Sammy Callahan, uh, juice Robinson. You know, is it so much that they dropped the ball there or was it just not the right time? Uh, but, but looking at some of the people, you know, well, so many names that just haven't made that transition from, they had great success in NXT going to the red and the blue. And then on the flip, you know, those that, weren't thought we didn't think much of in NXT and now they're exploding on the red and blue and like a bliss and Elias. I think it just shows the huge difference. Oh yeah. Between, between what those brands represent. And I think, you know, when, when fans really kind of harp on them about that, it's, it's the reality situation. They, they just neglect to really see that they, they are so different and we need to stop, just flat out treating or looking at NXT as simply development for the red and the blue, but treat it more as its own brand and appreciate the product that we're given at a certain time. It's a valid point. We will revisit this topic. Absolutely. We'll see if we can get Bella well, on. A uh, question for you, because I thought you were going to throw this out here. We saw Breeze tweet at some point, opportunity has to come, right? Oh, you were talking we, we about saw Cody. That. Cody's response, uh, something along the lines of, and I don't, I don't have it in front of me here, but paraphrasing it was sometimes you have to go out and make your own opportunity. I want to throw, I wanted to ask you a question here, Drago. 
you know, we yeah, obviously, yeah, Cody's gone out there. The, he, the world is on fire for Cody Rhodes. The Bullet Club is one of the biggest things in professional wrestling. Every, everyone that's involved with that, you're seeing some some names from, you know, just within New Japan really catching fire here in the West. But what's the real value or potential for, let's just say, so the average Joe, the average talent out there on the open market? I guess it all depends on approach, man. You know? I think that's going to be the biggest thing. How much do you want to work? Are you going to price yourself out of the market? What's your? I mean, let's look at what Cody did when he left WWE. Yes, he had the name, and that absolutely helped. But the way Cody put himself out there on social media, uh, we were hearing that Cody was working at a very discounted rate because he wanted to work all the time at every promotion that he possibly could, and he had a bit of business sense to him. I think anybody could leave the WWE and do that. It's a matter of number one, do they know what they're doing? And number two, do you have the drive to do it? Sammy Callahan's another great example. What Sammy Callahan has done over the course of the last year has been incredible. But outside of that last year, I mean, he left NXT in what, 2015, 2014, 2015, something like that, I want to say. So, yeah, he hits Eddie Edwards in the face with a baseball bat. He takes that ball and he runs with it. What was he doing before that? I know you know because you live in Ohio and they're for Ohio by Ohio. But until he hit Eddie Edwards in the face with a baseball bat, how many people cared about Sammy Callahan? He wasn't the draw until he accidentally hit Eddie Edwards in the face with a baseball bat. And that's what I'm saying. You know, it's just. He kind of he kind of stumbled into some great fortune, and, and he's made the best of it. Don't get me not, wrong. I was going to say that's not a knock in any way. I mean, like you said, he took that ball and ran with it. But how? What? How often is that opportunity going to present itself to one? Exactly. And you, you could look at other individuals, and I guess really what it comes down to is you know we talk wrestling daily uh, within the multiple circles we run in, and there's so many shows that we listen to and that we interact with. And we always look at it from a wrestling perspective. You know, one of the things here on the Hitting Marks Pro Wrestling Podcast that we've always prided ourselves on is we step away and look at it from our own professional experiences. We take that different directive at it. It's not just about wrestling. You look at someone like Cody, you had mentioned, you know, he took the lower booking fees. He just wanted to get that brand out there, make sure that everyone knew that he he was still there. He was relevant. He he still wanted to wrestle. He's going to represent his family's name. But when you really dive deeper into who Cody Rhodes is, he is a very driven and diverse businessman. Yep. Very. He's a very intelligent man when it comes to to the business aspect of the business. And on the surface, yes, it's presented through a professional wrestling light. But, man, you get in there, look at everything he's got going on. I mean, just off the top of my head, you know, you've got the cigars. You know, you got the wine. You know, you got everything going with Brandy with the fashion label. I mean, hell, got Cody, one of the best looking, best looking guys in uh, professional wrestling. I see him launching his own, you know, suit line. Not to mention, he's also working with Stephen Amell on a hit TV show that airs on the CW. I believe he's got three episodes this season of Arrow. There you I go. Mean, uh, he's I, a I busy you, dude. He's getting into like some production stuff. He's aligned himself. You know, they always say, you know. Greatness is surrounded by greatness. And he is running around with some of 
you know, the greatest marketing minds, you know, just just because just because they're using wrestling for their platform doesn't mean they're just restricted to you know our genre here. And you got to hand it to the Bucks. What they've done, you know, just is an entire branding scheme. That's one of I mean, that's got to be up there for conversation to rival even the best in any industry. You know, as as you're sitting there and you're laying this out, I'm over here smiling because as you're describing Cody, it occurs to me, it sounds very much like a very young Vincent Kennedy McMahon. That guy had drive. He had passion. And it just happened that wrestling was his platform. It, it screams it. It's just a kind of uh, relay a story here that I always found pretty entertaining. And this comes from uh, Mr. Jim Cornette. I guess... This is going to be probably late 80s. They had a little time off him and the Express had a little time off between some shows. So they took a meeting with Vince. So they, they flew up to the headquarters and they're going in there prepared to say, OK, you know, what are the houses? What are, what's going to be our cut each night? What booking plans do you have? And he was blown because that's how they did business in the Southern Territories. You know, it was traditional style. Uh, they, they had more of a reality presentation. It was about the in-ring, the wrestling and all that. They sit down for the meeting, and Vince and his people don't even mention storylines, don't even really mention in-ring. They're talking about merchandising, toy lines, what the cuts are going to be from that. So Cornette and Express, they kind of laugh it off, and they're like, man, this is like a, a cartoon act going on up here. Then they they found out a few years later what the people were making off those royalties, and they couldn't believe it. Yeah. Uh, the one that really got me, uh, I forget what episode it was, but I was listening to something to wrestle with, Bruce Pritchard. Um, I guess the first time that Bruce Pritchard heard the pitch for the WWE Network, it was 1997. Think of the internet in 1997 and Vince already had that vision in his head. That's just insanity when you really think about it. Here's another guy that I think uh, you can mention in that same breath as your Cody Rhodes and your Vince McMahons when it comes to business minds inside of the world of professional wrestling. And that is Chris Jericho. Huckleberry, it's just about time to sail away, man. Uh, I guess the big breaking story this week, this sh- there is going to be a show that we are going to be able to see from the uh, Sea of Jericho cruise, um, and it is going to air on Honor Club. Now, Rick, originally when I saw this, I was very, very confused because this is going to air Saturday, November 3rd on Honor Club. That is the same day as Power Struggle in which Jericho is going to be in Japan defending the IWGP Intercontinental Championship against Evil. Uh, This is actually going to be pre-recorded. That's how they're going to do it. This is going to be recorded October 27th through the 31st and then air on Honor Club November 3rd. Uh, So people are going to get to see it, even though I'm sure everybody's going to know the results of the Sea of Honor tournament, in which case whoever wins that is going to get a shot at Jay Lethal. Um, And then, of course, we have Alpha Club versus Bullet Club. That's going to be your big main event for the Cruise of Jericho 
streaming live on Honor Club and Fight TV. But of course, you and I were already Honor Club VIPs, so we will get this show for absolutely free. You know, I really, I got to hand it to Ring of Honor. This, I, I was not necessarily on board with giving them 120 bucks up front, not necessarily knowing what I was going to get for the VIP membership, but I'm pretty freaking happy with it. I was going to say uh, it's it's probably one of the better purchases wrestling wise that I've made this year, uh, and to, just kind of get back to the main point here, if we're going to have, they're actually going to stream this thing for us. They're going to give us give us the uh, the cruise of Jericho on Honor Club the same day as Power Struggle. I think this is a stroke of genius. Oh, I, I, I love this. This is a great weekend too because then you have also got your Dirty Saudi Blood Money show. That's that same weekend. Yeah, we've got that going off Friday. Yeah. Uh, and, and then we've got, did they say what time they're going to release the Cruiser Jericho? Is it just going to be available for streaming the entire day? Uh, my understanding is it's just going to be on demand. It will be available on Honor Club at that point. Hey, that to me, that's great. And I really like that they're going to do this on a delay. I know there's a lot of people, and it was all in. There was that speculation, are we going to be able to watch this at home? To me, this is this is something different. This is something different because it's one of those throwbacks where you need to be there to see the spectacle to appreciate it. See, and I feel the other way about it. Okay. It is so much easier to have a camera crew there, film this thing, edit it down, hand it to a ring of honor, hand it to fight TV and say, air it at this time. Streaming this thing live would be a logistical nightmare. Well, no, that's what I'm saying. You would have to pick, if you were going to go live with this thing, you would have to pick like a two or three hour block of matches. You couldn't do this entire event. No. And no, and that's, and I agree with you 100%. I'm glad they're not even going to attempt to do anything live. Yeah, no, because that would be a nightmare. We're not even, it's outside of just the, you know, the logistics nightmare from someone like you from a production standpoint, I'm talking just like from, you know, from a fans, a traditional style. This is something, you know what, if you want to see this thing, you want to be a part of it live. You want to be there when the magic actually happens, the pony up and buy a ticket, get on the damn boat. No, well, that's how I felt about all in. I mean, and that's, that's what I feel here. And, and I, I agree with you on that as well. Uh, but in that case though, once you hit that max on those tickets, it, it almost was just, it would have been it sold out well, it, so it have, fast it would have been foolish to not open that up to the rest of the fan base uh but this i like and then you're gonna you got this going on the same day as power struggle you know that old that old slogan in baseball the old saying in baseball it's such a beautiful day let's play too well and now i'm excited for that weekend because I ain't going to watch Dirty Saudi Blood Money, but I still got two huge shows to watch that weekend. So the Monday locker room that week is going to be loaded. Uh, let's talk about New Japan Pro Wrestling a little bit. They've got their Super Junior Tag League going on. We're two shows in. I just wanted to run through the current standings for everybody. We got Los Indobernobles de Japón. Bushi and Shingo leading the way at four points. We got Bullet Club, Ishimori, and Robbie Eagles. That kid's awesome. Standing in at four points. The current IWGP Junior Heavyweight Champions, Kane Amaro and El Desperado, representing Suzuki-Goon at two points. Volador Jr. and Saburano Jr. at two points, representing CMLL. Rapungi 3K, the only, like, you know, actual tag team in this tournament, 
They're in there at two points. Liger and Tiger, two points. ACH and Taguchi, Kushida and Sabin, RIP Alex Shelley. That's my new favorite name for a tag team ever. Pulling up the rear at zero points. Uh, Rick, have you had a chance to watch any of these matches as of yet? Uh, I, I went kind of highlight package of these things and really going through and I was kind of studying the run. As you know, when it comes to New Japan, I'm more into the heavyweights, the big picture. Not very familiar what's going on with, with the juniors, especially the junior tag division. Uh, so coming in, there was like individual names that I recognized, but it's, I'm glad you pointed that out, that Rupungi is the only actual tag team. Because that's what jumped out to me. And I was like, man, I don't know that any of these other ones as teams. I just kind of know them as individuals. Yeah, I mean, Kane Morrow and Desperado, they team together quite a bit. Bushi and Shingo, I think that's going to be a regular thing, even though Shingo is just as big as half of the freaking heavyweights in New Japan Pro Wrestling. Uh, Ishimori and Robbie Eagles. I'm kind of hoping this Robbie Eagles thing is long-term. This is the first I've really gotten to see of Robbie Eagles. Completely impressed with him, especially the speed. And Ishimori is just freaking out of his goddamn mind. There is something about that guy that just does not seem right. Like, he's not quite all there like i think that dude is legitimately crazy i think they got him in the wrong faction dude should have been an lij it's fun man if you enjoy super junior tag team matches i guess it's all right i'm just i like super junior tag or super junior wrestling i enjoy the style but once you get into tag teams and six mans and eight mans it, it just becomes a car crash and, and that's kind of my issue with the Super Junior Tag League. That and there's there's so much talent on here that we're not going to see again for months once this thing's over. Well, Jargo, let me ask you this real quick. You know, we're just uh, we're two shows into this thing. You still going with Liger and Tiger? I don't know. I'm kind of feeling Bushi and Shingo. I'm kind of feeling Bushi and Shingo. I could see them really wanting to make it out that it's a big deal that Shingo is here. I could even see those two winning those titles. I would really like to see Liger and Tiger, though. I really want to see those guys win the titles at Wrestle Kingdom, especially if we're going. If Liger and Tiger win the championships at Wrestle Kingdom and then you've got Tanahashi taking the IWGP, like the old guard coming back and kind of being like, no, fuck you, young boys. This is our company. That could be a very, very fun story going into 2019. There we go. We, we've got our uh, Super Junior watch. Jargo, Jargo mixing up his picks. Speaking of uh, the, the old guard and what in the hell is going on, uh, Rick, we had uh, the, this Okada and Tanahashi thing that they are building. It, this is going to end up with the two of them together. One way or another this is going to end up with the two of them together. We're waiting for some kind of a grand embrace, some show of respect. We've seen them save one another now at this point, because this week we had Tanahashi coming out to save Okada from a beat down from the OG bullet club and that dirty bastard switchblade Jay white. When is it going to be? How is this thing going to go down? And my biggest question, I, I was already kind of looking at the schedule for Power Struggle to see exactly what was scheduled. They're not doing it there, but I'm almost wondering if World Tag League, could we see Okada and Tanahashi team up together to go through World Tag League and then have it end up Kazuchika Okada and Hiroshi Tanahashi on one side and the Golden Lovers on the other. 
very interesting. Uh, especially when you tie in, you know, that, uh, you know, Okada's history with Kenny, Kenny being that one to get, to finally get over Okada, uh, everything there with Tanahashi, you know, Tanahashi chasing Kenny. Now I want to throw another wrinkle in this thing. If you're going to bring these two together, Okada and Tanahashi, uh, arguably two of the, the biggest names in Japanese wrestling right now. It's kind of interesting where they're looking at wrestle kingdom as they're going to be taking on prominent members of Bullet Club that don't necessarily see eye to eye on things. Mm-hmm. Very interesting, all all the way around. Uh, could it? Could we see an eventual match somewhere where through Bullet Club, Kenny Omega and Jay White are forced to tag together against these two? Oh, that'd be fun. I wouldn't mind seeing that. And so, you know, just weird twists to create. I mean, just think of all so the much layers, tension, all of the layers that would be just piled up there in, in that one match with these stories. Who's going to turn on who and when? That's the real question when you look at a match like that. Uh, the other big story inside of that that I, I think kind of gets lost to the American audience is the relationship between Kota Ibushi and Hiroshi Tanahashi. As much as you have Kenny Omega and Tanahashi going at it, and you ha- you know you have the, the new guard versus the old guard, and Kenny refers to him as that old fucker, and Tanahashi doesn't like Kenny Omega whatsoever, and he, he wants to restore the dignity back to New Japan Pro Wrestling. There's also a huge story here between Kota Ibushi and Hiroshi Tanahashi. And that story is basically, you know, the big brother and the little brother, and when in the fuck are you going to grow up? That's very much the story between Hiroshi Tanahashi and Kota Ibushi. Tanahashi feels like Ibushi should be a world champion right now if he would just grow a fucking pair and sign a goddamn contract. You could be the ace right now if you would just sign a fucking contract. Grow the fuck up. Realize where you are in your life and grow the fuck up. That's been, and I mean, this has been a story for a couple of years now, going all the way back to when Ibushi left for the Cruiserweight Classic. So that that layers there as well. You've you've got so much going on. The dynamic here is so complex. If if you're a fan out there, if you're tired of just cookie cutter, spoon fed bottom of the barrel, lowest common denominator storytelling. If you want something that's going to make you think that's going to invoke emotion with, within you, this, this is storytelling right here. Yeah. It's great stuff. And you actually have to think about it. You have to be intelligent to follow it. Well, yeah, it's one of those, you, you have to have an eye to actually spot it. What's going on. You have to invest yourself in it. Where some it's of the stuff they, they do on Raw and SmackDown is just... I, I wasn't going to name names. Uh, let's let's talk a little bit about SmackDown 1000 before we uh, go to break, and then we'll jump into the actual WWE stuff. I just kind of wanted to get your overall thoughts for the show. Uh, SmackDown popped a rating this week, actually beat Monday Night Raw in the rating this week. That's awesome. Um, and I think we all kind of expected it to. You know, it it was one of those things when you're doing a big novelty show like this, you expect to pop a rating. So my question to you, Rick, knowing that you're going to pop a rating, is this really the best show that you could put across? I mean, 
don't get me wrong, it was a fine show. It flowed great. I enjoyed the pacing of the show. But was this really the right show that they wanted to put out for SmackDown 1000? This is one of those shows that in the moment, and I agree with you 100%, Jargo, I, it, it wasn't a terrible show. It, it served its purpose as a specialty episode. It had a nice flow to it. You got through it. Uh, only only one little segment there, the Batista the Batista speech went a little long. Uh, that's the only part of the show that kind of drug. They did a little bit of business to the best of WWE's ability. I don't agree with how they went about doing that business, but they made an effort there. Uh, but you're exactly right. You've got a special show. You know you're advertising these big names. You've got these special attractions. You're going to pull more eyes. People that are already following your product are going to make sure to tune in. And you're also going to be, you know, pull people from yesterday that want to see these stars to check out what's going on. This is, this is something special. This is a huge milestone, 1,000 episodes. But in typical WWE fashion, they're worried about getting that pop for the moment and not doing business for themselves going forward. Where was the hook? There was nothing on this show that screamed, make sure you're back here next week. And make sure you're riding it out with us through the next year here on USA as we transition to actual network television. There was nothing like that. And this goes, you know, one of the last milestone shows, like when they did the Raw, the Big 25th. There was nothing there that screamed, you better be back here next week. Yep. Two, two huge missed opportunities in my mind to actually, you know, boost your viewership, maybe sell some network subscriptions. They didn't do anything like that. You're like, yeah, it was great seeing Edge. It was really cool. I ain't going to see him again for like, what, five years maybe? Well, you know, looking back on it, the highlight of that show was the opening package. It moved you. I'm happy it, you it, brought that up. It, it brought back some emotion, you know, and you're thinking, man, this, okay, this is going to be pretty special, man. Let's Let's get some... Let's get let's let's relive some of those those great memories, but let's also highlight today's crop. Let's move forward a little bit. And I gotta be honest with you, right when they cut from that and we go to the arena and I see Truth TV set up, uh, immediately it's like, okay, what are you doing? Yeah. Okay, you're gonna go this route. Okay, I'm just I'm not even gonna really take this show that serious myself. I'm just gonna turn my brain off. So when I did that, the opening segment worked for me because it was just, oh, we got to get the McMahon squeezed in here somewhere. They don't really want to do anything, so let's just go out there in, in WWE fashion. They, they do this all the time. It's, it's also about the fun aspect of the show. They got that out of the way. I mean, it kind of worked for me, but I don't think it, it, not in any way was it the right directive for them. And it didn't really do anything to set a tone of this is going to be something truly special throughout the evening. And it was nothing that makes me want to tune in next week. Um, I'm happy you brought up that opening package, though, uh, because as we have talked about here on the show, I've quit watching WWE Weekly TV. But of course, being SmackDown 1000, I had to watch this show because I was very curious about the format and what they were going to do and blah, 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 blah. Um, and then I saw that opening package and I was fucking pissed, dude. I was severely fucking pissed off i'm watching that shit and one of the big moments that they highlight on that video package is fucking vince mcmahon's speech the smackdown after 9 11 with all the shit going on in saudi arabia right now i was 
fucking irate and I shut the shit off. It took me probably six fucking hours to watch that fucking show just because of I could not believe the fucking cojones of Vince McMahon to include that in that fucking video package. I was just disgusted as a wrestling fan, as an American, as a human being. I was fucking disgusted watching that shit. Again, it's, I, I'm sorry. I can't sit. I can't help but sit here and laugh because I knew that was going to freaking set you off. Oh God, damn it! I knew it was going to set you off. I think it was. Uh, I, I forget if it was. Uh, Craig Thompson's Horsley or uh, one of our other friends was like, damn it. I, I enjoy a good Jargo rant when, when the show was late last week. Did, did you happen to there see the There you go, man. Today. Got it for you. Um, Maybe it was Ryan, Craig Nichols. Uh, I think uh, Ryan Bowman over at GorillaPosition.com, he had shared a story today as uh, written up from uh, Dead. Is it Deadspin? Yeah. yeah. Deadspin. That was kind of pointing out how WWE handles their business in that opening segment was a reflection of that, not the opening video package, but just the opening segment itself with everything going on without them really taking a stance on the situation without them not even taking a stance, but really not even addressing it uh, instead of just kind of trying to step away and see where, how everything plays out in WWE fashion, they kind of just mocked it and said, well, we'll just have a dance party. Well, you know, the, the one that really got me, was uh, Monday night on Raw, right? When they, they go, there's a shot where they go to the three of them at the desk, and Mitchell Cole says, "Let's talk about the big WWE story of the week." And I was like, "Oh shit, they're actually gonna fucking talk about Saudi Arabia." Nope, the Bellas attacking Ronda Rousey. That was the big WWE story of the week, according to Mitchell Cole. No, Mitchell Cole. Everybody's talking about one story. And it's not the Bellas and Ronda Rousey. We're talking about Saudi Arabia. You're so fucking tone deaf, WWE. It, it well, just blows my mind. You know, one thing that I found interesting this week, we uh, we had a correspondent at Raw, a friend of the show, and your 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 good buddy, your, your uh, after hours best friend, uh, one yes. Jersey Mike. One Jersey Mike was in the building for Raw. One of the notes that I found really interesting, and and even it just even kind of stood out to Jersey. Not much of a negative, not even not much, but zero negative reaction to any mention of Crown Jewel. Like it wasn't even on the fans' radar. Which is hilarious because then you watch SmackDown 1000 on Tuesday night, and even when the Undertaker mentioned Crown Jewel, they booed the fucking Undertaker. When he mentioned Crown Jewel, it, it, but that show was in D.C., where, of course, the Washington Post is covering it every day. The New York Times is all over it. There's not a whole lot of families going to SmackDown because D.C. is just not that kind of an environment. It was a bunch of people in the know that actually pay attention to what's going on as opposed to freaking people that throw batteries at Santa Claus. I mean, you know, let's talk about the intelligence of the DC universe and the Philadelphia universe. I mean, you know, Philly sports fans, you know, they they don't necessarily have the best reputation when it comes to booing Santa Claus and pummeling him with batteries. Get the fuck out of here, Jersey, trying to put over the Philly crowd like they're really something. Why not, man? We got heat everywhere. We might as well add Philly to the fucking list. 
you know what? You are the king of setups and transitions here, brother. You didn't even know what you were setting up here. As I know we're getting ready to go to the break. What a perfect setup. You're talking about the difference in fans as we go from region to cities and areas like that or different countries around the globe. Coming up in segment two, I'm going to introduce a new little take that I'm going to roll out every so often. We're going to be talking about the F. QI, the Fan Quality Index. I'm going to break that down for everyone in uh, segment two. Stick around. We'll be right back. It's the end of the month. I got to pay the rent. I wish I was the president. It's the end of the month and all my money is spent. I wish I was the president. I'd have a big white house with a yard and a fence so I can keep on the I have a boat and a maid in my 
right, Huckleberry. So we're back for segment two. That was dope. Yeah. I'm on a dope kick here lately. Their song, I Wish I Was the President. Yeah. Yeah. We're getting all kinds of political today. Yeah. Now we're here to talk about some more dope. Yeah, Blood Money is back. Yeah, they, they officially announced Rick. It's back on WWE.com. Saudi Arabia is back in the description. Tickets go on sale on the 19th, which is today. Uh, I believe they are available for three American dollars if you would like to attend this show. Of course, then you have to deal with getting into the country of Saudi Arabia. Um there, there's been some pushback here. Uh, late breaking news shortly before we started recording here. Steve Mnuchin is uh, pulling out. He's not going over there. You know, funny enough, he was going over there. You know what he was supposed to be talking about? Huckleberry? Funding terrorist organizations. That's what he was going over there to talk about. Yeah, good stuff. This thing is an absolute mess rick you've got people pulling out left and right this big conference that they're supposed to have going on the vision 2030 thing is all kind of up in the air it seems like wwe is going ahead with this show we've got a couple of quotes here uh for from talent and former talent uh defending going on for this show has your opinion changed at all where are you at with this thing you know i've kind of flip-flopped a little bit on this and it's and it seems, you know, within like every hour or so, we're getting, you know, such an influx in the in the stories and how this thing is playing out. You're right. This is just a complete disaster. And I, you know what? I am going to stand with WWE right now to kind of step back. You've got this deal in place. You don't need to make it. To me, it's just terrible timing, really, for them to be in this position. If this show wasn't scheduled, you know, maybe for, you know, early December in the January it wouldn't be such of a hot button issue with the company. But right now, yeah, they are at the forefront. They're the ones that are going to be there. All eyes are going to be on them. I am going to stay with the company, though, because there are so many details involved in this story that we really don't know yet. And we need to let play out before making such a decision to turn away a contract like this. Well, now the audio is getting out. It seems that it took them all of about seven minutes to use a bone saw to cut up Mr. Khashoggi. Um, here's uh, here, here's what JBL had to say on Fox Business. This comes to us from uh, just a couple of days ago. Here's JBL. My personal opinion is that they should go. You isolate a country, all you do is impoverish that country. And for these senators to come out and bash the WWE on this, for these guys to hide behind their patriotism and their, their, their show uh, flag-waving to me, I think is to try to improve their abysmal approval ratings to me is wrong. WWE has been at the forefront of change, and you want to change Saudi Arabia, you send something like WWE there. And then Rick kind of echoing those same sentiments. Uh, and this one just, this kind of bugs me because TMZ cameras just happen to catch up with Randy Orton at the right time. And, you know, Randy Orton, who is so open with the media and loves talking with journalists, he decided to throw his two cents in about uh, the Saudi Arabia show. Here's what Randy Orton had to say to TMZ. should go i think the only way to help with change over there is to go and not to cancel the trip 
Uh, our girls performed in Abu Dhabi not too long ago. Yeah. And I think we'll be there eventually with Saudi uh, in the Crown Jewel. You know, that, that's the goal is to make things better everywhere. And I think us not going, it doesn't help. Going helps. But do you feel at some point the girls will be able to fight over in Saudi Arabia? Uh, 100%. And then we have Kevin Nash. Uh, Kevin Nash, no actual audio available. This comes to us from Twitter. Uh, Kevin Nash put up on Twitter, 9-11 was conducted by 15 of the 19 attackers who were Saudis. Our response was to attack Afghanistan and Iraq, which is true. Um, now a hit squad is responsible for the death of a Saudi journalist. We, should we hit Yemen and Iran? We'll never know the truth. Let's push Saudi Arabia to progress. And then somebody asked Kevin Nash, how do you feel about Crown Jewel? And Kevin Nash responded saying we should honor its contract, its entertainment, not a UN summit, which kind of echoes your sentiments here. Um, as far as I'm concerned, I think they need to get the hell out of this thing. Uh, I, I, I don't see any benefit to the WWE looking at this in a long term. I mean, yes, obviously short term, you're talking about, I believe it was a profit margin I saw earlier today reported by Forbes of 12 to $16 million. I, I don't think that a profit margin of 12 to $16 million is worth all this negative press. I think this is going to be a big black eye on the WWE for many, many years to come. That's not worth 12 to $16 million. Well, I, I do want to clear something up here. I, I, I will stand by. I think they need to go on with the show. There is still so much out there uh, that needs to be verified, that needs to be cleared up. Uh, but, I am going to have to say that I disagree with the handling of the situation by WWE and how they're influencing, you know, current talents, those under legends deals and former talents, how they're influencing how they approach this situation. You know, in marketing, when push comes to shove, well, you know, just the marketing in general, you're, you're, you thought to put the best spin on everything to try to, you know, defend your actions. But sometimes when push comes to shove, the best thing is to just be honest with the consumer, with your audience. And in these situations, WWE is not taking taking that route. They are giving you the cookie cutter. Uh, in the case of Randy Orton, what threw me off when I saw this video, I originally thought this was something from the previous Saudi show because they never really brought up the current situation going on over there. Orton kept talking to, you know, talking about the, the progress of women. And getting women on that show, which was, you know, the narrative last time. That's what everybody was concerned about. That's what they were questioning. Orton seemed to be more, you know, going in that direction. Something of you know, just pretty much reading the company memo from the last show. Well, you uh, know, JBL the thing the thing I thought was weird about the Orton video, and this may add some credence to what you're saying as well. Uh, when you look at Orton's appearance in that video, he looks really old. And he doesn't look clean shaven. When we saw him on SmackDown, he looked like he was 25-year-old Randy Orton. He was completely shaved. He was super babyface looking. Now, granted, some of that could be makeup, but that did not look like the same Randy Orton that I saw in the ring Tuesday night. Well, I was going to say, you know, we were having a conversation over on Facebook in the Homie Media Discussion Group, and I, I brought up that point. Like, I thought this might have been old footage that they were just trying to tag on to an updated story. Uh, but I believe it was Seth Kennedy. And if, if I'm wrong there, I apologize. But I believe it was him, you know, who, who was quick to point out that that was uh, the D.C. airport. 
Uh, so it all seems to be legit up to date, but you're right. It didn't seem like the Randy Orton that we saw at SmackDown. He didn't really, he, his answer wasn't addressing today's situation. Uh, but yeah, the WWE right now, you know, they're just kind of giving that cookie cutter. They're trying to dance around this thing. If I was them, this is one of those times, if you're going to make a decision, you're going to stand behind your company's decision here. You just come out and say, you know, we, you know, we are, we're very concerned about this entire issue. We understand the seriousness of what is going on right now. But from our standpoint, for our commitment being so close and date, we have, de- we have decided it is best for us, the WWE, to continue on with our commitment and allow for all of these details to fully develop, to let the governments get involved, to do their investigations, let this story fully play out and come to the surface and then we will reevaluate our contractual agreements with saudi arabia going forward because hey i know we can look at all the all these stories coming out and what's being released in the audio or or whatever you want but a lot of the negatives here they are coming from a liberal media that i am sorry i downright do not trust one bit they're also coming from turkey who has serious issues with the Saudis, it, it seems that it's coming that we are being fed this as the truth from one side. But then, obviously, I'm not. I'm not going to sit here and pretend that my side's exactly right. You know, the left is more worried about the business aspect of this thing, and is kind of sweeping some of this under the rug. Some items of of very much you know that are important to the situation are being swept under the rug to maybe protect you know some other interests. Also, late breaking news and. Uh this is one of those uh, take it for what it is kind of things. Uh, one of the 15 men identified in the video as being members of the Saudi hit squad. He mysteriously died in a car accident today. Sympathies to him and his family. Yeah, I'm sure that was just some random accident. You betcha. Mm-hmm. Accidents happen. Accidents happen every day. Uh-huh. Yeah, let's uh, let's actually talk about the shit that's actually going to be on the show rather than the shit show that it in- surely will be. It's a nice little segue, huh? I like that. that was good. That was good. Uh, let's talk about uh, Degeneration X taking on the Brothers of Destruction. Um, we, we were very interested to see how they were going to handle this with both Hunter and Undertaker being on SmackDown 1000, of course, on Raw. We saw Undertaker with his buddy, buddy Kane, brother, his buddy, whatever the hell they are, whatever the narrative is this week, uh, hanging out in the boiler room. Uh, there was a lot of people liked that. I thought it was pretty awful. Um, I, I thought the production value was oh, good. No, you actually talked to people who liked that? Oh, yeah. There was a lot of people putting that over, man. Are you kidding me? It felt like the Attitude Era, bro. Yeah, I, I don't get it. <laughs> oh, man, you just popped me. I can't believe there's actually people that like that. Oh, yeah, yeah. And then on SmackDown, we have The Undertaker come out. And uh, he he gets booed out of the building for mentioning Crown Jewel because he says, at Crown Jewel, I've got three words for Degeneration X. Rest in peace. That's right. It took him longer to lace up his boots than it did to cut that promo. Hey, uh, that that promo on SmackDown Live, I've had some conversations. I actually love that. That's what The Undertaker should be. I, I, I won't argue with you on that point. It should be the mystique of the entrance 
in a very short and sweet delivery. How many times over the last couple of weeks have we been talking about how he's been overscripted and long-winded? Yep. Uh, and especially after the backstage promo package that they had on Monday, how cringeworthy that was, this was very refreshing. Uh, this is what The Undertaker should be. That, uh, I do got to tell you, though, you got here on the run, you've got it listed as uh, DX Bod. Yep. Uh, to me, that screams like a, a new product from Axe Body Spray. Fantastic. Love it. Let's talk about the evolution part of the show. Uh, Hunter makes absolutely zero mention of the Brothers of Destruction. He makes zero mention of Crown Jewel. Uh, I, I'm with you. I thought Randy Orton stole the show when it comes to this segment. I thought Orton was absolutely fantastic during this segment. To uh, go ahead and give the people the same breakdown that she gave me off air. Well, I mean, just for the Orton situation here. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it's well. What really got me? What I really love, and maybe this is why I enjoyed SmackDown 1000 so much more, is over on Facebook in the Hobby Media discussion group. You know, Acer's live discussions each and every show, every week, all the big events. Such a great time. So many great personalities in there. Uh, but money, James MacGyver and I, man, we we went to war over this segment and I, I was showing my appreciation there for Randy Orton right on the spot. I, I love the promo he cut, but more so I loved when he kind of just stepped back the mannerisms, the body language. He completely owned that segment for me. Now on the flip side, you know, money sitting there arguing that he was completely out of character. I said, no, that's what a snake does. You know, he came out. Uh Oh, you froze with his level. Uh, I'm back. Yep. You're back. So, so he had to play along with the individuals that are on his level. He had to buy into this moment, but he was still going to be Randy. And then when he could, that snake was taking those little shots, let you know that he could strike at any time. And, and then money was like, well, no, he, he, he that's what a, a chameleon does. Said, no, a chameleon changes colors to hide in fear. A snake changes its persona and how you perceive it so that anytime it can strike and take you down. That's what you got from Randy Orton there. And he was so masterful in this segment. I think he, and this is one of those cases where you can tell when Randy cares or Randy's having fun, he is absolutely one of the best that WWE has ever seen. There was one moment where Randy kind of snuck up behind Hunter and I totally thought he was going to RKO that motherfucker. Totally thought that was about ready to go down. Just the way that he was moving. And I and that's what he was intending to do was to make me think that he was going to do that. Well, and then you think about what a snake would do. Like think about people that you know that have kind of got that real that personality in real life. Because what he did then, it was after Batista took a, you know, that that subtle little jab or friendly jab at Triple H. So you got Randy coming up and you're thinking, well, wait, is he gonna do this? But no, Randy's kind of in his ear, like, oh dude, he just he just burnt your ass. He just busted your balls. This is a case where, yeah, Randy will usually jump on like the smaller prey like that, but he knows he's in there with dogs just as big, just as important as him and, and bigger Yeah. in the grand scheme of things. So he's going to pick his shot. He's waiting. This what this wasn't for him. He went in there. He stole his moment. He's in it. He's in and out. I thought he, he was just, he was tremendous in this segment. 
and, and just shows again why he is truly, you know, one of the best. He, this business is in his blood. Now, let me ask you, what'd you think about the outside of Wharton? What'd you think about the rest of this thing? Well, Flair was Flair. I mean, Flair, regardless of what Ric Flair was saying, just seeing Ric Flair in the ring, doing his strut, doing the woo, it has to put a smile on your face. It was good to see Rick, regardless of the content, which was very much throwaway. Uh, Triple H, I thought his content was very much throwaway as well until the Batista jabs started coming. As for Batista, I've just got four things I would like to say about Dave Batista. Number one, that promo, if that was scripted, was awful. The Batista part of it went on for about five minutes longer than it really needed to. Number three, Triple H has beaten Batista. There's video evidence of it. Triple H has pinned Batista. So it wasn't even fucking true. What was it, a singles match? Yes. And number three, I believe it was an episode of Raw. And number four, all right, the only part of that promo that really bugged me, because I know that was intended to be a throwaway promo. I mean, this is just planting seeds for stuff later on down the road. But Batista said one thing that really, really bothered me, that it didn't matter if he won or lost. That was the one thing in that promo that stood out to me more than anything else. It didn't matter if I won or lost. I was just out here to entertain you. That was awful. And, and you know what's what's even funnier about that? It was add to Batista getting no heat for talking about wins and losses not mattering. But poor Brie Bella, who two weeks ago talked about how it's a WWE superstar's goal to enter the ring and win the match. It's getting, well, I just thought it was ridiculous. And it's like in one breath, Batista says wins and losses don't matter. But then, you know, one of the reasons that he's here is because Triple H has never beaten him. <laughs> it's like, wait, what? Just in, in the way he even approached that, it was he was kind of going between those phases of in and out of the kayfabe situation, you know? Yeah. So in that they don't matter, what's, I guess, more important, or I guess makes it even more devastating of a statement, is that he told the fans that. Exactly. So they suddenly seeps into your mind, well, it doesn't matter if my favorites win or lose, as long as I can just sit here and... As long as I'm entertained. And and, and have my little chance, and I don't really have to even... I could just turn my brain off and not have to really... Think about what I'm absorbing or try to buy in and invest into any situation or story or character. I'll just sit on my thumb and smile because WWE tells me to do so. Yeah. What got, what got me after this promo, and I know I was I was laughing here a moment ago. I couldn't believe that there's a good deal of individuals who enjoyed the Undertaker Kane promo package from from Monday. I can't believe, because you're talking about laying seeds for down the line here, obviously setting up the potential for Batista versus Triple H. I can't believe the number of people I've saw in, that I've seen in support 
of this match happening at this year's WrestleMania. Yeah, I don't get that either. You know, when I think of dream matches, there's there's plenty of dream matches that I can think of for Triple H, especially when I think of guys at the Performance Center right now that I would love to see get the rub from Triple H, as if Triple H would ever let any of the guys at the Performance Center beat him. But, you know, just assuming... Hey, you know, it, it, Triple, H, Triple H puts people over at WrestleMania. He puts a lot of people over at WrestleMania. He gives a lot of people that rub at WrestleMania, and then it's up to them as to what they... I, I'm not a Triple H hater, man. I am not that guy that's going to sit here and hate on Triple H. If you want to hear that, you can listen to the Wednesday Locker Room and Billy Ray Valentine because he hates that fucking guy. I, I just think Triple H is like, you know, he, he's probably the greatest number two. He's, he's the greatest Scotty Pippen that there has ever been in the WWE. And I do get, I do get the ideology behind freaking, they need like that, that old school marquee for WrestleMania to draw those old fans back. But I, I just don't know if, I don't think that's a draw. If pizza, pizza, <laughs> pizza would be a draw. If Batista versus Triple H w- would be that match, if that's really going to interest people, I, even running out there, you know, it's, it's you brought up the Wednesday locker room. They made a great point over there as they were talking about they they really made this big deal about this evolution stable reunion. When you really look back in history, what is the importance of this group? They don't really stand out. I mean, sure, it's four tremendous individual talents. But as a group, they're nothing to write home about. Yeah, I agree. They were, they were supposed to be the horsemen, and it was just flat. I mean, all four of them had great individual careers, but as a stable, meh. Meh. They were all right. You know. And I'm not even so sure. You know, there's this talk of Batista going into the Hall of Fame. I, I, he doesn't even scream headliner to me. No. He seems like a number two to me. Yeah, it'd be a great compliment to, and I saw another name that maybe The Undertaker would go this year, which would make sense. I mean, Batista would be a tremendous compliment to someone like The Undertaker. I think when The Undertaker goes into the Hall of Fame, he should be in a class all by himself. I completely agree with you, but you know they're not going to do that. Yep, agreed. Uh, Let's talk about uh, AJ Styles and Daniel Bryan teaming up to take on the Usos. Uh, This one of the more interesting matches on SmackDown 1000, but I I even had to hit you up and be like, dude, did I miss something here? Like, why are AJ Styles and Daniel Bryan tagging up? Like, I I, I legitimately thought maybe I missed something, whether it be during the entrances or a video package or it, it just, it seemed completely out of nowhere. I'm fine with it. I'm fine with what they're doing here, but it, doesn't feel like they're telling the story whatsoever. Well, yeah, this goes back, as I told you, we just get the match. Hey, you know, on paper, looking at this thing, I was like, hell yeah, give it to me. Uh, I, you got one of the, you know, the best tag teams in the world. Uh, obviously in WWE, probably the best tag team of what the last 10, 15 years. Oh yeah, the, absolutely. Uh, tremendous talents in AJ Styles and Danny Bryan. I mean, who doesn't want to see that those those guys hook up inside the ring? I mean, just for the in-ring aspect, hell yeah, that's going to be entertaining. But this was just, we got to do something with the WWE Championship. We have got a loaded show. We don't really have a whole lot of time to really devote any quality creative to it. Uh, I, I know that might throw a lot of people off that I use 
the words quality creative when I'm talking about WWE right now. But but yeah, this was I mean, this is going back. This is the oldest school booking trick in the world, right? You take two guys that are going to eventually be competing against each, each other in the ring for the championship. They have a mutual respect. They appreciate the other one's talents and efforts. So to try to create some kind of wedge between them or yeah, I guess, I, I guess mystique between, are they going to, you know, is this thing going to boil over, put them together in a tag team match and just have a miscue. I think the best part of this thing, and we talked about this off air, and I believe we agree on this, was at least the right team won. The Usos should beat AJ Styles and Daniel Bryan because AJ Styles and Daniel Bryan are singles wrestlers who are being forced to team together, and the Usos are one of the best tag teams in the world. Well, and it, like I say, you know, the right team won, and they even give WWE a little more credit. I, even this is, you know, they, they could have done so much more between these two and hopefully maybe we we get that next week where they just don't go down just it's just such old school booking route here uh but not just that the right team won the right guy took the fall at least the champ didn't eat the pin here yep very much take the fall very much agreed let's uh talk about the uh world cup to crown the best in the world again phil really God. So so we've got the eight. It's going to be John Cena, Kurt Angle, Jeff Hardy, Randy Orton. And this week we saw the final four added as Seth Rollins defeats Drew McIntyre and Dolph Ziggler defeats Dean Ambrose. Nailed both of those predictions. Um, but I, I, again, we're doing this. Is Ambrose with the shield? Is Ambrose against the shield? It, it, this is so heavy handed, Rick. Well, as I was talking to you before we went to break here, this is where I want to bring this in here. The fan quality index is something I want to introduce to the show. We're going to talk about from time to time. And what we're going to talk about this is when we go to certain cities or regions or different countries, or in this case, we're going to talk about just a general a group, group of fans. But what the, the FQI kind of measures is we're going to look at how they understand the product how they receive it, how they interact with it. Uh, then we're going to break down, you know, maybe where those individuals come from. What are their backgrounds? What is, what are they known for? Maybe where do they fall in our entire social structure? We're going to use all of those to kind of break down the fan quality index. And we're going to give them a rating one through 10 on how they measure out on how with 10 being the highest, you're a tremendous, it's great, it's awesome. You're at the top of the game to a one where you're just pretty much piss poor. And the group of fans I want to talk about here when we're looking at this World Club, Cup, you, you listed all the names here, all those we got. The ones I want to call out, and they are irritating me to no end, is those that continue to point out that everyone on this list is American. Yes. Uh, I will save my FQI for the DC crowd when we talk about the SmackDown matches here in just a second. So the argument I keep hearing, well, how, how can you do this? And, and Money MacGyver, we, this goes back to our arguments we were having inside the live discussion. We got on this topic here. You know, he's, look at how diverse their roster is, and they can't fill it out with anything else. They got all this great NXT UK talent. Give me a break. They are so interesting. This is the World Cup. 
World Cups, World Championships stand for, and like they are selling in their tagline, the absolute best in the world. This is a loaded lineup that has made the finals here. This is a great – they're going to fill out a tremendous bracket here. Now, just for the sake of you have to include someone from the U.K., they're going to run someone after, let's say, like a Finn Balor, who, whose entire career can't be – you can't stack it up against what these individuals in this, in this list have done. And especially, what have you done for me lately? That guy hasn't gotten on everyone. He has like three wins all year. You're going to tell me he deserves to be in something where you're going to decide the absolute best in the world? Get out of here with that garbage. They're selling it says best in the world, World Cup. Well, why don't they call it something else? Why don't they call it the Crown Jewel Cup? What the hell is a Crown Jewel Cup? You know what the World Cup is. This represents the entire globe. This it makes it so much bigger. It's something that everyone can enjoy. You know, by the way. By the way, for these fans that are, are trying to just bitch and moan about this thing, let's get to the reality of the situation. This is happening in Saudi, where their their fan base isn't as up to speed on the current product. They're not going to know a lot if you run out of Finn Balor or if you run out of Mustache Mountain or you run, you run out uh, a Ninja Panda Bear from Japan. They're not going to know who those individuals are. They want star power. They want those names. These are the individuals that are going to to deliver and then the name world cup itself what were the saudis just over the top crazy about this past summer oh yeah the freaking world cup it's something they can relate to so get over yourselves fans that are that are just stuck on this thing that are trying to push this just complete bullshit try to make this an argument you are near the bottom of the barrel your fqi is at a three and i'm only giving you a three because I'm going to give you a break that when it comes to WWE, sometimes we need to create our own excitement, something to try to get you invested. Much applause, Huckleberry. Much applause. Boy, that was a Jargo-like tangent. I'm starting to rub off on you, Rick. It's good stuff. Um, I, I think at the reality that... You might want to edit that out. I don't want anyone to think you rub off on me. Oh, See what you family show family show yeah yeah this is a real family show i think at the end of the day it all comes down to the saudis man this is who the saudis want and this is what the saudis are going to get the saudis want it called the world cup it's going to be called the world cup saudis want vince mcmahon to scrub their feet vince mcmahon's going to scrub their feet that's just the reality of the situation um as, as far as smackdown goes we have the miz defeating rusev and Almost record time. Thanks, Batista, because Batista ran so goddamn long. He was so freaking long-winded. We only got this match for like 60 seconds. And you know, then, I, was, I was thinking about that. I went to, sorry to interrupt you there, Jared, before you jump to this next match. I was thinking about the Miz and Rusev thing. You think that would be like a fun little program to maybe revisit post-WrestleMania? Oh, absolutely. We can get like the, the, the ladies involved and all that? Absolutely. Yeah. I, I, did you happen, I like did to, you see, happen to see... You would have had to just stumbled upon this. I don't think I sent it to you. But following the mixed match challenge loss of Rusev and Lana, uh, they, they cut a promo. The correspondent came up and asked them. They were definitely, they're backstage. They're devastated. You know, she comes up and asks, you know, what went wrong? And Lana just pretty much says, we lost because I suck. And she storms off. So Rusev goes into this rant like, like, yeah, sometimes your, your defense just isn't there. We weren't able to move the ball. 
he's, he's totally just is nothing wrestling related. Starts like cutting into like other, you know, like sports speeches of excuses why they didn't go over in a you know such and such game. It is absolutely hysterical. I love Rusev. He's he's one of my uh, favorite professional wrestlers in the world. That guy's personality is just great. Then we have uh, Rey Mysterio defeating Shinsuke Nakamura. Uh, Huckleberry, you called this one clean right in the middle of the ring. Uh, that this match has been announced. We are going to get this again. Huckleberry, you are going to get this match at Starcade for the United States Championship. Um, I, I, if this man, if this show is on the network, I'm going to watch it just to see that match. Cause I think these two have a real good chemistry together. I just don't think that they really got to showcase it on SmackDown live this week. I mean, they had two commercial breaks within about three minutes during this match. I just, it felt like I couldn't get going. I couldn't get invested in the match. Yeah, this this was more about the spectacle of just reintroducing Ray to to the WWE universe. You know, he is back, reestablishing him. But you're right. I'm looking forward to this one at Starcade. You know, outside this, I'll do it a toss up. This or the ladies' cage match, uh, right at the top of the list for me. It's going to be very interesting to see, especially you know in that live event atmosphere where they kind of let them go a little bit more. You know, I'm hoping that these guys get 12, get, give them 12, 15 minutes. I, I think it's going to be a stellar outing there. I'm very much looking forward to the, to that at Starcade. But this match itself, you know, I, it's great that you're reintroducing Ray and all that. Uh, but again, a, another, hell, no pun intended, uh, forearm to to the nuts of Nakamura, <laughs> and another another step blow to the nuts of the United States Championship. Yeah, that title's become pretty irrelevant at this point. It's kind of sad. Almost like you need The Miz to win it and bring it back to life because that's pretty much what The Miz does at this point. He just resurrects dead titles. You know what? An individual I feel that would be perfect in that position uh, is Miz has kind of outgrown that spot. Uh, I think we were just talking about him. Rusev. Yeah. Babyface Rusev. Babyface Rusev. Uh, the foreigner who is now, you know, the beloved uh, Americana hero or spokesman, I think would be tremendous, tremendous for for Rusev, for the championship and for ratings. Let's talk about Jargo's FQI for the week. Oh, yeah. We're going to talk about the Washington, D.C. fans. Thought SmackDown 1000 was a pretty good show, and I thought that the fans reacted pretty well to just about everything. And then the Rey Mysterio versus Shinsuke Nakamura match happened, and they started the stupid you still got it chant for Rey Mysterio. You fucking morons. It's not like Rey Mysterio stopped wrestling. Of course he's still got it. It's not like he's been retired for the last four fucking years. If you get out of your little WWE bubble for all of about, I don't know, three seconds, you would see that Rey Mysterio has been wrestling literally all over the fucking world like every weekend. You still got it. Get the fuck out of here. Jesus so, uh, Christ. On, on the scale, on the FQI, 1 to 10. And, and not just for this, not for this just moment here, but kind of just take in everything that you know of, about the Washington, D.C. area and those audiences throughout the years. Where would you give them? 1 through 10 F on the FQI. I'm, I'm going to give them a 2. All right. And as far as this segment goes, I'm going to give them a negative 619. But overall, I'm going to give them a 2. And the reason I'm going to give them a two is because they're a very, very sad 
fan base they're because they're used to being disappointed it doesn't matter if it's the washington capitals or if it's the redskins or if it's the nationals like they get they're like a cock tea city right because they get almost there and then they just get disappointed that's that's how i feel about the washington dc fan base when it comes to their professional sports teams and kind of their response. The thing about DC, it's kind of weird because there's not necessarily a lot of families that attend the sporting events in DC because a lot of the families in DC are in the lower income tax bracket. And then DC is filled up with people who don't go to these sporting events and stuff like that, that they're going more so to do business at the event with advertising agencies. And it's a very corporate business kind of town. Well, that's that's where we go. You know, the individuals that actually live there, the fans are going to be in attendance. That plays into how we how we're going to judge our our FQI ratings. It's you're saying it's lower income, so lower income is going to equal a lower education. They're not the brightest of the bunch. And I'm going to add on to what you're saying. We're going to go out. You know, we're just going to go out there and piggyback on. You know, the swamp's just not in the political side. The swamp is all of dc even it's it's just local inhabitants those individuals are the swamp we need to drain the swamp well i mean just listen to how batista was talking about dc doesn't sound like batista had a very good childhood growing up in washington dc did it the the worst part about the show was batista and he was and he is dc there you go let's talk about wwe de-evolution that's right. We're going back to the Divas era. We're de-evolving now. Uh, we have Ronda Rousey and Nikki Bella, and we have this promo that people are putting over to me that is just nauseating to me. Um, now, Jersey Mike told me last night how much you enjoyed this promo, Huckleberry. So why don't you go ahead and let me have it. Tell me how great this segment was. Well, yeah, here's how I enjoyed this thing. If you give me an option, yeah, I'm actually going to I'm gonna put this over as one of the better things that we saw in W programming this week. I'm actually going to put it over there, but it's almost, you know, would, I, would, you, would I rather have you just kick me in the balls once or light my nuts on fire? Fair enough. It, it's it's kind of that deal there, but, but yeah, this uh, they had some fire here. I thought Nick, Nikki came out. Great response for Nikki. Uh, Jersey was in the building there, said tremendous heat on them. Uh, Nikki handled herself very well on the microphone. I thought it felt it a little bit. It lost kind of its groove where they were heading when when Bree took over there at times. Rhonda came out. She stumbled a bit, but she found she found her stride. She started bringing the fire. She was getting that smart rally behind her. She was she pretty much just laid out what so many have been screaming for so long. It, it got the crowd riled up. It got people fired up. It got them buying into this thing. And when you're looking around at what you've got happening at Evolution, you want people to be focused in on this. And I more so, and I usually kind I kind of bust the WWE's balls when they do this, where they kind of cross that line into pandering to the Sparks. They were doing that here, but at least Ronda wasn't obviously like playing to the crowd, as we see like Cena or Roman Reigns do so often. She was staying focused on Nikki as she was actually running her down. She was talking to Nikki and not talking to the WWE universe. Okay. All right. Um, as far as I'm concerned, I thought it was awful. 
And I thought it was awful for a multitude of reasons. Uh, well, let's, let's, let's debate them. Well, number one, when you have Ronda Rousey talking about how the Bellas are relics of the past and she will inviscerate them, uh, like it's like, dude, Ronda Rousey doesn't even know what some of these words mean. Like, I just thought the writing was awful. Uh, nobody talks like that, especially Ronda Rousey. Just Google her fucking press conferences from the UFC. That's the Ronda Rousey I want to see. I want to see Ronda Rousey go out there and be a bitch. Okay. Now, as far as like the John Cena lines and all that. Okay. Yeah, fine. I, I, I guess I can get behind that. Here's my problem though. It was the tone that Ronda Rousey is taking because yes, Ronda Rousey is supposed to be your heroine baby face. Right. And I felt like the tone that Rousey was taking with Nikki Bella, they put more sympathy on Nikki Bella than they did present Nikki Bella as a legitimate contender to Ronda Rousey. And I feel like that was the intention of this segment. You were, were you're supposed to make me believe that Nikki Bella can beat Ronda Rousey. You're trying to prove to me that she can be a legit contender and everything Nikki Bella was saying I'm fine with. She can go ahead and she can talk about how she was this great leader of the women's division and breaking down doors and shattering glass ceilings and all that shit. I'm fine with that because she's a delusional heel. I'm fine with that. She's over talking herself because she's a delusional heel. She thinks that she's better than she actually is. That's the gimmick. I'm fine with that. But with that derogatory tone that Rousey was taking towards Nikki Bella, do we not remember that when Nikki Bella and John Cena split up, all the sympathy went on Nikki Bella. So bringing that up puts the sympathy once again on on Nikki Bella. And I just, I feel like the psychology of it, the tone of it was all wrong, regardless of the execution by both parties. All right. I, I, I'm going to half agree with you on this. I, I, I'll, I'll agree that they should have just left it at, you know, that first part where you kind of used, you used your looks, you manipulate it and worked your way to the top and not as gone as far to talk about the breakup, how it kind of blew up in her face and all this stuff. They should have stopped there. You, you should have cut it short of of where that line was drawn, where it was evil Nikki to sympathy being placed back on Nikki, especially, you know, how that was presented, especially even through like Total Divas, you know, the heartbreak and Total Bellas, the heartbreak that she had went through and trying to rebuild herself and get back on track with life. But then, but then you're knocking in your first part of the statement. You said you want bitch Rousey. And then on the back end, you're kind of bashing her for being a bitch because she's a baby face. Bitch Rousey should not be a baby face. That's the problem. I see. And I, I don't get that where people are kind of drawing, you know, that conclusion from uh, obviously, yeah, she has the problem where she, and that's just within her, the smiling and all that's just her, you know, overcome with the moments and all that stuff. But why she hasn't really shown that she's playing that, that typical you know, cookie cutter baby face. She is more of that in the middle. They're presenting her more of that, that Piper. They want that. They're looking for her to be the, the female stone cold Steve Austin. That more of that edge to her is what they want. I don't know. I, I just, I feel like the tone of this entire program is just all wrong. And I feel like the actual verbiage that they are scripting for Ronda Rousey. Well, I mean, you want to talk, awful. you want to talk about, you know, whoever did a lot of the writing this week, and especially, I know you don't have it here on the run, but I want to touch on it. Uh, one of the most God awful things that I've seen on WD programming in a while 
And it was this has nothing to do with the talent. They went out there and did the best that they could. But creative-wise, whoever wrote this, they should be sent over to Saudi Arabia and be dealt with. And that is that damn promo, the back and forth between Bliss and James and Stratus and Lita. Oh, no, I don't have that on the run because I guess I completely missed that. Oh, you know what? Catch your blessings that you missed this thing. This was the worst piece of garbage on programming, on WWE programming this week. Uh, they they pretty much tried to play up going back to the Allen Iverson practice deal since they're in Philadelphia. Oh, I do remember that now that you bring it up. That's how awful it was. I had it already blocked from my memory. You have Trish and Lita trying their damnedest to get this thing over. And you're, you're in Philadelphia where this is, you know, they love Allen Iverson. This is one of their, their favorite memories of the Sixers, you know, just even, you know, just funny, just fun memories from sports in Philadelphia. And even the audiences, you could just kind of tell they're like, they were embarrassed for everyone involved. Absolutely terrible. Uh, a, a horrible segment. You know, what happened is Elias got all that heat up in Seattle when he mentioned the supersonics. And ever since then, like legitimately every show, somebody is trying to take a shot at the local sports team to recoup that. And it's not going to work because that is something very specific to Seattle. Yeah, it, it worked there. They caught fire with it there. Yeah, like you said, they're even. They've got either a heel out there taking a cheap shot, or in this situation, you know, in this circumstance, they're looking for Trish and Lita to get all that sympathy to get that crowd really going behind them, and it just completely backfired there. It, it was kind of funny. We go back and talking about the, the Philly fans for a second. Jersey Mike was trying to put them for like how what a diehard fan base Philly is and how even when the Eagles are awful, you know, the, the stadiums are still sold out and, you know, because they're loyal to their sports teams in Philly. And I was like, yeah, tell that to the Sixers for the last decade. Yeah, uh, it's we're going to save that one, but that's going to be a, a very special FQI rating. Philly fan. Let's talk about Becky and your precious Shar Shar. We have Edge making his grand return. Uh, evidently, uh, per the live correspondence that I have heard from, Edge got the pop of the night, which is pretty cool. Um, were you ever an Edgehead? I was one of those. I, I was kind of indifferent to Edge. I always appreciated everything he did. I, I enjoyed his work. I was always entertained. I'd tune in, but it didn't ever like move me. Never really got behind him as a fan. Hmm. Yeah, I was always a big Adam Copeland fan. I, coming from the brood all the way through to the rated R superstar, I was absolutely on board with Edge. I knew that guy was a blue chipper the first freaking time I saw him out in the crowd. Just had that look. I God, and it's crazy to think that when Edge first debuted, he didn't talk for like six months, which is hilarious because he's one of the best promos inside of the company because Edge just has a way of taking terribly scripted lines and delivering them in a way that you're like, yeah, I can relate to that, even though you really can't. He's just got a relatability to him. I don't know what it is. You know, I, I really liked in this segment, I, I liked... Everything at Edge, the delivery, how he handled himself. I even like how Becky presented herself. I just didn't like the direction of it. Yeah, I'm right just there going, with you. Just going for just just trying so hard to finally get people 
to buy in to the direction WWE wants them to and to start hating on Becky. It, to me, it, just, it was just over the top cheesy. That was the biggest thing I wanted to talk about, okay? Because I'm sick and tired of this narrative that we have Becky Lynch now as an anti-hero. No, she's not an anti-hero. She's a fucking heel. And I mean, they have doubled down on that so many times. I can't even begin to count. But especially this week, when she comes out with that try not to hurt your neck, getting out of the ring shit. I mean, if you could like quadruple down, that's what that was. Becky Lynch is a heel. And my entire problem with this entire program is it is just miscast. People want to cheer Becky Lynch. People want to boo Charlotte Flair. And now this disease is spreading again, Rick, because I saw Charlotte Flair gave an interview where somebody compared her to Roman Reigns. And she goes off on this tangent about how, you know, it's all about getting a reaction. And, you know, the the people, they're, they're just not understanding the story that we're telling them. I'm the good guy. And it's just like, no, fuck you. We understand the story that we are seeing on screen. Don't tell us we've got the story wrong because we're the ones watching this shit. Maybe you should just listen to your fucking audience. You know, this, it, it kind of breaks my heart to hear that. You know, they, they actually have a, a tremendous talent in Charlotte, someone that could make Oh, so much money for the company going forward for years and years to come that can accomplish great things. One of your premier performers, just not for women, but for all of your superstars. But they're going to force her her down this route. They're going to feed her these generic PR lines to feed the press. And it is ultimately going to backfire on them. You know what I'm starting to notice? Speaking of Roman Reigns, and it's... Only a matter of time until this happens to Charlotte, too, if she goes around making comments like this. Roman Reigns has said for long enough that as long as I'm getting a reaction, I'm doing my job. Well, what are you noticing about the reactions now? You're not noticing nearly as many boos anymore, are you? Nope. Because the people that boo Roman Reigns, they've realized what we really need to do is to shut the fuck up. Because if it's all about getting a reaction, then we're not going to give you a fucking reaction anymore. And you can hear it because when you, you know, somebody like Seth Rollins comes out, you can hear that place erupt. And when Roman Reigns comes out, you hear a few cheers. You're not hearing the booze anymore. You, You lead the way with Rollins and Ambrose, the place explodes. Yep. And you're exactly right. By the time that third little wheel comes kind of dragging out there. They're hushed for all of them. Yep. You told us for so long, as long as I'm getting a reaction. Well, guess what? Now you're not getting a reaction because fuck you. And that's what I'm starting to see happen, especially here over the course of this last shield since Ambrose came back thing. 
people are just not taking to Roman Reigns. Yeah, you're hearing more cheers because you're not hearing as many boos. But those cheers you're hearing, they're not on the same level as Ambrose and Rollins. Not even freaking close. And Braun fucking is deafening both of them. And Braun is once again the heel. And how did Braun Strowman get over as a babyface the first time? By beating up Roman Reigns. So what are we going to do with Braun Strowman as a heel? We're going to have him beat up Roman Reigns. Duh. I mean, come on. Get your head out of your ass. Let's talk about a, a, a program that I think is actually really good and I'm really looking forward to, and that's Shayna Baszler and Kyrie Sane. Rick, I know you don't watch a whole lot of NXT as far as week-to-week goes. Um, have you seen any of these vignettes that they're doing with Shayna Baszler? I got to tell you, man, I, I have not... I'm not up to speed yet on what we got going with the NXT Women's Division. Okay, so check this out. Shayna Baszler is in a fight camp. She, like, straight up, she's running a fucking fight camp to get ready for Kyrie Sane. Straight up UFC style. Training with the other uh, two of the horsewomen down there at NXT inside of a cage. And Shayna Baszler is telling you, Kyrie Sane didn't beat me. I beat myself because I took Kyrie lightly. This was a fluke. And if you watch that match, all it was is Kyrie rolls up Baszler while Baszler's got Kyrie in a choke. It's not that Kyrie Sane beat Shayna Baszler. I made a mistake, and I'm not going to make that mistake a second time. That's a real sports story. That's something that people can relate to, kind of like we were talking about at the top of the show with Altuve. This is a real sports story, and it's great, and it's everything that I want to see out of Ronda Rousey. Baszler is what I really wish Rousey was. Yeah, that, that, dude, I actually, I'm going to go actually move that up on my schedule to catch up on those things. That sounds like something, you know, especially having to digest everything else that's going on in the women's division on the red and blue brands. It seems like I'm missing out on something. Yeah, it's a really good story. It's being told very, very well. This week on NXT TV, we got to see Shayna Baszler. This is the first time that we had seen her since these vignettes started running. And unfortunately, on the other side of the ring was poor Britt Baker. Britt Baker making her NXT debut. It was great to see Britt Baker, of course, uh, the girlfriend of Adam Cole, and then Shayna Baszler's music hit, and I went, oh, shit. And uh, match ended by referee stoppage. Good shit. Well, I was going to say, you know, coming out of a fight camp, I don't know if I want to be uh, the first victim and standing in front of Shayna Baszler. Yeah. Referee stoppage. Good stuff. Like that a lot. Uh, speaking of de-evolution, we, we knew we were going to get a battle royal. And uh, the winner of this battle royal, I don't know if this is going to be like Rumble style to where somebody's going to get a title shot later on. Uh, they actually said they are. They are. Okay. That was announced. That was when they announced it. Uh, yeah, we get the grand announcement for this thing uh, via just a graphic and Mitchell Cole. Uh, <laughs> but he did put over before moving on that the winner of this thing will receive a, a future championship opportunity. So just to put everything into context here, if people are wondering why I'm calling this show De-Evolution, we have Nikki Bella in the main event against Ronda Rousey and Asuka in a battle royal. Yep, that's well, you know, going to happen. My initial reaction, I agree with you. When I saw that Asuka 
was going to be in this thing was you got to be you got to be kidding me. But hey, let's let's look at this thing realistically. What is she, she's done nothing since WrestleMania. She has been completely irrelevant. I, 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 and that's the problem. Nikki Bella is in a feature role in the main event and we have real talent who can actually wrestle in battle royals. I, I am okay with Nikki Bella being highlighted on this show. It is tremendous PR. Uh, they're, they're, they're getting a ton of attention from this thing. Uh, you yourself is as terrible. She is. She's the lesser two. Brie Bella is over. You know, TMZ picks up what these guys are doing. They're getting their coverage on, on E. I, I'm fine with that, but there has to be a balance. You, you, you draw individuals in. That's great that you're going to use that star power of the Bellas to pull people, and you're going to use even Ronda's star power to pull individuals in. But once you've got them there, you need to find you know, spots to truly highlight the talent that are going to keep people coming back. They might tune in for this, you know, this specialty or this novelty marquee of Bella and Rousey. But while you're watching that show, what should grab you is, holy shit, look at this Asian chick. Yep. She's here every week. Yep. This is, this is what I, this is what I want to see. And that's kind of where I'm at with it. You know, where, while we're featuring people like, Nikki Bella and Brie Bella and Lita and Trish. And now we're making a big deal that Molly Holly has been announced for this battle Royal. Like Oscar's not even the draw to the battle Royal. It's going to be Molly Holly and ivory and Michelle McCool. And, and it's like, you got, you're, you're, you're featuring the wrong women here. Like I, I, you could be getting just as much out of this if you had Oscar versus Ronda Rousey, which would have been freaking awesome. Assuming that Oscar hadn't been all but buried since WrestleMania, I mean, you actually could have had a real program there where people could have legitimately believed that wow, maybe Oscar can go with Ronda Rousey, and you could have done the Bella Twins versus Sasha and Bailey, or Ember and Nia Jax, or the Iconics, or, I mean, you like, I don't get me wrong, I think there is a place for the Bellas on this show, it's the placement that I have an issue with. I really think what they should have done here, to really, to maximize, to get that exposure, I would have, I would have stayed with the Raw Women's Championship match the way it is. I, I like that for that marquee. That that's got the great crossover appeal. Then you've got the two. You've got the stipulation there. You've got the blood feud already set there with Becky and Sharshar. That's going to be a tremendous, a tremendous bout if they let those two go. I think would have been a tremendous third. That would have been one of those. It would have been a great hook to keep people coming back. And you could tell this story. There's a way to do this thing. If if you would have put Oscar and Baszler against one another for that NXT women's championship. Yeah. That would have been really, really good. Uh, the and, other one, and that's a story. It's not a stretch. You can easily go back and write that story. The, or the other one that immediately came to mind for me when it comes to Oscar is Ember moon, the woman who became the NXT women's champion. When Oscar relinquished the title, I could see that being a good story as well. But of course, you know, Oscar's just that goofy girl. That's well, pretty you know, much how they treat her. You know, after she disappeared after Mania, then we kind of got a little bit of where they were going back to the buzzsaw. But then, you know, just like within like a blink of an eye, she was back to just being the, you know, that stereotypical Japanese schoolgirl. 
Yep. Uh, the other one that kind of has me worried right now, at, or maybe it's just my own seeing how they have treated Asuka and a little bit of the same way with Kyrie Sane, uh, in watching Io Shirai through the Mae Young Classic, every time they interview her, they've got her speaking Japanese. She speaks the best English of the three. Uh, only WWE. Like, legitimately, I've heard her cut, like, full promos in English. She speaks English just fine. Of the three, she's the one that would be the mouthpiece. And yet they have her speaking nothing but Japanese on the Mae Young Classic. Just shit like that blows my freaking mind. I don't understand it at all. Only one more thing that I wanted to bring up this week. Oh, yeah, Sasha Banks is back. And what did they do with her this week? Absolutely freaking nothing. People have been asking for weeks now, where is Sasha Banks? People have been trying to figure out what's going on with Sasha Banks. She hasn't been on the road. She hasn't been on television. All they did, they reported some undisclosed back injury. People speculating that she's unhappy with the company. All this other stuff. Like legitimately, one of the women that we should be featuring going into Evolution. And Rick, she's not even announced for the Battle Royal. Which tells me, I assume it's going to be Sasha and Bailey, and they're going to be in this tag team thing and probably win the tag team titles. But it's just like, we've been looking for Sasha for weeks, and it's just like, oh yeah, we're right back to Sasha and Bailey versus the Riot Squad, where we were like six fucking weeks ago. Like, we didn't miss a beat. If this was something else, I wonder how many fans even noticed that she was gone. Well, and I, I actually heard people like writing into different shows that I listened to, and they were complaining about this Sasha and Bailey versus the Riot Squad feud. Like, when is this going to end? It feels like it's been going on forever. And it's like, dude, Sasha hasn't been on TV in like six weeks. But they just went right back to it. Like, nothing happened. That entire Riot Squad versus Ronda Rousey feud never happened. Yeah, it was just a little filler to get them to where they were going. I'm looking at the card here. Yeah, you're right. Nothing announced for for Bailey or Sasha yet, and there still is the rumored women's tag match. Correct. Yep. Uh, so that could still be out there. I'm just I'm trying to think of what teams they would put together for that thing. Looking at who they've already got. Right, because everybody else has been announced for the Battle Royal, which was you know which was really was strange to me. Here's you got Fox, you got Asuka, Billy Kay, Carmella. Dana Brooke, Ember Moon, Lana, Mandy Rose, Naomi, Nia Jax, Peyton Royce, Sonya Deville, Tamina, and Tori Wilson announced for the Battle Royal thus far. Which, which really surprised me is that they tossed Ember Moon and Nia Jax in there. Yeah, like what are they going mean, to do? Are they going to have? Are they going to wrestle Lay Cool? That's right. Was like if you're going to have a four way dance for this thing. If you've been building up Ember Moon and Nia Jax, you'd think that would be one of your favorite teams going into that thing. Uh, I, I just, I don't understand. Well, and then on Raw, you had Ember Moon tossing Nia Jax over the top. Oh, and that was, uh, you talk about another terrible segment. Uh, well, you know, just, but it was like the crowd booed Ember Moon. Like the crowd took that, like it was supposed to be some kind of a heel turn. All they were trying to do was set up the battle Royal, but the way the crowd responded to it was incredibly negative. Well, when you don't have any kind of build, you flash, you happen to flash a, a quick graphic about it. And within that 
within that graphic, you don't hear Cole putting that thing over, announcing what the hell it is. It, it's confused the audience. It was ridiculous, man. Ember Moon had more heat from doing that than the entire Sasha and Bailey program had. You all the all the fans saw was them just in a tag team. They known they've been tagging for a while. They've been buddy buddy, and then you see a turn like that. You didn't know the rest of that was going to play out. How poorly and that how poorly executed that was, but you didn't know that was going to play out. It was just poor booking trying to kickstart this thing without really any reason. I, to sum up everything here with this de-evolution segment, you know, this week, I, I guess I have to exclude the Baszler saying deal because I didn't see that. But if we're talking red and blue, you know, aside from, you know, Rousey and the Bellows, man, I got a swipe left on everything. Is that good or bad? That's good. I don't want to go on a date with it. I don't know. I, I, I've never done the whole swipe right, swipe left. I don't know which one's good, which one's bad. I'm too old for that just, shit. Just like in politics, right is good, left is wrong. So that's going to wrap things up for this week's episode. Thanks for listening. And if you haven't already, please hit that subscribe button so that you'll never miss any of our new episodes. Then head over to the Roar Network at thegorillaposition.com. Rick, you've been listening to uh, J&K there. I saw that you were uh, putting up some positive feedback about their last episode. I was checking it out this morning and enjoying that quite a bit. They're now uh, J&K has changed over to Turnbuckle Talks. I like that name. I like that name. Yeah, I, I always enjoy those guys. Try to catch them, uh, catch them every week. Good stuff. Then also be sure that you search Hameen Media, Hacker Hameen and your favorite podcast listening platform so you never miss Huckleberry and I over in the Monday locker room at Hacker Hameen this week. Jesus, Rick, it seems like every week now we have to record on Monday morning because there's some kind of a big show on Sunday. This week, it's going to be NWA 70. Looking forward to breaking down that show. Talking a bit more New Japan Pro Wrestling, best of the Super Junior Tag Team League, whatever the hell kind of title they've got on that. The Road to Power Struggle. That's what it should be called. As always, you can find me across all social media platforms at NotJargo. Follow the show at HTMPWPod. Huckleberry, how do the Saudi Death Squad find you? Whew, I, I got a lot to cover this week, so bear with me here. But I'm on that Twitter climb, baby. So I would like to encourage everyone to give me a follow at the Real RBV. Also, be sure to catch up with Jargo, myself, and all of our rowdy friends on Facebook inside the Hami Media Discussion Group. Hey, don't forget for your hospitality, for all of you hospitality-based. Uh, business owners, or if you happen to know someone who has their own business and is in need of some digital marketing uh, to go over and check out my personal independent marketing firm, Herd Marketing. You can find Herd on Facebook uh, or give me a call, Rick Vickery, at 513-227-6504. And oh, yeah, this is my extra. This is my extra. This is my oh, yeah. Uh, I also have some very exciting news from Battle on the Border Pro Wrestling. Uh, I've been working with the, the owner and promoter down there. His name is Denim Blevins. Uh, we're developing a new merchandise line that we are going to be launching in early November, just in time for the holidays. An exciting project that I'm a part of with Battle on the Border Pro Wrestling. And, of course, our next big shows, they're going to be known as Holiday Have. Is Actually, it's a tour. we got two big days. It's the Holiday Havoc Tour. They're going to happen Friday, December 21st, and Saturday, December 22nd. They're going to be coming to you from beautiful southern Ohio. 
Man, we got some major names on this thing, Jargo. Already signed for these shows. We got the champ, Johnny Nackett. I know you spoke with him in the in, on the Impact Attack not too long ago. Uh, so, a great guy, tremendous champ, tremendous representative for Battle on the Border. Hey, we've also got Brian Pillman Jr. We got Bullet Club member Chase Owens, Rory McAllister. You remember him from the Highlanders? Oh He's yeah, gonna be there. He's gonna be there. And this is kind of cool. I, I shared this with you last night. This is really cool. The fans that are going to be there, they're going to have a chance to get involved and go ringside as Rosebuds. Yes, we have got former WWE superstar Adam Rose. He's going to be joining the shows for Battle on the Border Pro Wrestling coming in December, man. A lot of stuff going on. Awesome. Awesome. We got to get Chase Owens. We got to get Chase on the show because we need the lowdown. I need to know what is going on inside a bullet club. Where does Chase Owens stand inside a bullet club? Hey, that's, that's what I told. Uh, I told Denim. He, he shot me the list. I said, wow. I said, first thought is we've got some awesome interviews on the way for the hitting marks pro wrestling podcast. That's what I'm talking about. Keep listening. Ladies and gentlemen, that's it for this week. For now, we're off like a prom dress. See ya. Watch your fingers. Label me. Don't give up. You bad guy.